Christ in power resurrected as we will be when he comes. That is awesome to think about this morning. Good morning and welcome. I feel like I had an amen somewhere. It sounds like it's, man, JD is on it, man. Uh, good morning and welcome. Uh, my name is Eddie. I am one of the pastors here at Pillar. Uh, it is great to be here. Uh, it is great to see everyone who made it here this morning, knowing there's other places that we could have been this morning, knowing there's other things that we could have been doing, uh, knowing that uh, God has allowed us to be here this morning. I have a question that I want to present to you uh, to kind of help lead our thinking through uh, the passage this morning. How many of you woke up this morning thinking you could die today? Or that today could be the day the Lord would return? And if so, does that affect how you will live the next 24 hours? I want to say that again. How many of you woke up this morning thinking you could die today or today would be the day that the Lord would return? And if so, how does that affect how you live the next 24 hours? Some of you may recall a young man by the name of Cameron Boyce. Uh, Cameron was a somewhat uh, successful child actor and dancer, uh, primarily on the uh, Disney Channel. Uh, but on July 6, 2019, his parents, Libby and Victor Boyce, didn't expect to wake up one morning to find that Cameron's final seizure, which is documented as sudden, unexpected death and epilepsy, would take his life. For my older crowd, uh, perhaps you're more familiar with Mr. Uh, Mr. Apollo Creed, uh, a Mr. Carl Weathers who is well known for his portrayal uh, in the Rocky movies who just this past Friday on February 9th died as a result of heart failure. Each of these uh, two men had lived a life of fame, uh, probably fairly well off from what I've read uh, about their careers, and uh, their, both of their lives seem to be moving in a, a, a positive uh, trajectory uh, or had been over the last uh, several years. However, I wonder, had they lived a life of faith in Jesus for hope and eternal salvation? But more importantly, are you? Are you living as if today could be your last day or the day that Jesus would return. As we dive into the issues uh, of the passage this morning, uh, this is going to be a central, it's going to be central to the understanding uh, as we look at what is going on and why Paul is continuing this way in his first letter to the Thessalonians. Uh, if you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be picking up in chapter 13, and we're going to read through uh, chapter 5, verse 11. But we do not want you to be uninformed. This is Paul speaking to the believers in Thessalonica. Brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not, that you may not grieve as others, as others do who have no hope. For since we, have, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, 
who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Chapter 5. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in the darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that in Christ there is hope of salvation who put their faith in him. Father, as these words come forth this morning, as your spirit guides uh, my understanding, as your spirit guides the thoughts and the hearts of those who are in uh, hearing this message, I pray that their hearts will be pricked, their minds will be open, and Father, they would submit to the truth of your word. Father, this is my prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. As we walk through the passage, I believe there are two clear, structures, uh, clear tensions structured within the text. The first is at the end of chapter 4, starting in verses, uh, in verses 13 through 18, which is the believer's uncertainty about those who have died before Jesus' return. The second tension is in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And this tension revolves around the, the fixation on when Jesus re would return versus living a faithful life until he does. I think if we look at these as a whole, I believe that Paul's advice to the believers in Thessalonica and also to you today would be something like this. Encourage one another to remain unwavering in the assurance of salvation until Jesus returns. Encourage one another to remain unwavering in the assurance of salvation until Jesus returns. In uh, Romans 8, uh, it says that if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In light of this truth, we have we can. Uh, in light of this truth, we have truly, if we have truly put our faith in Jesus and believe God is faithful to His word, we have 
eternal life. Therefore, I believe the intended response uh, to the tension found in verses uh, in chapter 4, verses 1 through uh, 13 through 18 is this. Be assured in the hope of salvation, which is found in Christ. Be assured in the hope of salvation, which is found in Christ. You see, as we opened up the passage this morning and we went through, uh, if you've been with us through the last uh, month or two, we've been going through 1 Thessalonians, and we know that uh, Paul and Timothy and Salvanius uh, or Silas went through uh, the Thessalonians on Paul's missionary trip. Uh, and although he was able to come back, he decided that they would, he, he would stay back in Anthems, Athens and Paul would send Timothy to get a report of what was going on with the believers in Thessalonica. Uh, after a, a favorable report from Timothy on how well the Christians uh, were doing, Paul pens his first letter to the church. Uh, he starts off by praising the church for their continued faithfulness in the midst of their current afflictions and gives them additional instructions on how to conduct themselves. That they should live worthy of God, who had called them into his kingdom through Christ, that they would labor for things that would last and that they would please God more and more. These are some of the titles, uh, if you've been here, you'll recognize from some of our previous sermons. But they're also what Paul has labored and has uh, instructed the Thessalonians to do until Christ's return. Yet, there are still some gaps in their understanding, which Paul fully recognized. If we turn back to chapter 3 and go down to verse 10, Paul even uh, says this himself. He gives one of the reasons uh, that he wanted to see them face to face, which was to supply what was lacking in their faith. Due to the manner of his initial departure, Paul knew that there were some fundamental points, there were some key things that had been missing from the gospel uh, when they left that had not been completely addressed and this caused some of the increasing tensions uh, for the new converts in Thessalonica. As stated earlier, one of the concerns was centered around what would happen to those who had died prior to Jesus' return. You see, one of the problems is for the Thessalonians is that, and same thing for Paul, is they thought that Jesus would be coming back immediately uh, during their lifetime and would, they would be with him when he did. And it can be assumed that Paul himself also had this same understanding, which is why he presented this to the Thessalonians in this way. But it's easy to be confused by this point if we go back to Matthew 24. In Matthew 24, uh, you don't have to turn there, I'll read it for us. In Matthew 24, Jesus says, makes a very confident but somewhat confusing statement. He says, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. You see, even at that time, the apostles believed that, that possibly that everyone would be here, that Jesus would be coming back soon, and they would be here for him to receive them into uh, heaven. However, it has been several decades since Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection and ascension into heaven. It has also likely been several more additional years uh, uh, that we, and we're not really sure from the time of Paul's initial proclamation of the gospel until now. 
So you can imagine that the Thessalonians, as they're sitting around, as they're, as they're preaching, as they're trying to be faithful to the word, and they're starting to see their brothers and sisters and faithful Christians uh, start to die off, there may be a concern that possibly they missed the boat, right? Like, hey, we've been, we are doing what Paul told us to do. We're, we're living faithfully. Paul said that Jesus was coming back, but now people have died and Jesus still hasn't come. Have we missed the boat? You see the Thessalonians, they got, and you have to look at their background because, you see, they came from this pagan background that, for them, death meant that there was going to be this sort of a, a soul sleep that they were going to be lost in, this eternal sleep from which there was no return. But this was not what they understood at the time, and they were grieved. They didn't understand that we who died before Christ's return were still guaranteed, there was still assurance that we would be with him when he did. You know, I can sympathize with uh, a lot of what the Thessalonians are going through at this time. You know, in my own life from about uh, early 2021 until the summer of 2023, I was either attending the funeral of a loved one or receiving notification of someone close to the family who had died. One of the things that I recall during this time was there was Three levels of grief that I walked through uh, during those moments. The first was uh, the grief that those who had died were not saved. A real grief as, I, as I'm sitting there and I'm hearing the preacher say, you know, they're in a better place, that they walked a good life. Knowing their life that they led, I knew that they were not saved and that they were destined for wrath. And I was grieved for those people at that time. The second grief was for those who uh, thought they were saved, that they were sitting there and they were amen and hallelujah and they were nodding in agreement with the preacher who said that, hey, your loved one who just passed away is off to a better place and this is the place that we're going to go who have faith in Christ. But I grieved because I knew that their lives did not reflect a life of faith, that they were not living a life that would lead me to believe that they were living in anticipation a faithful life assured of their salvation uh, in Jesus Christ. But what does Paul say to the believers? Uh, look in chapter 4, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Paul is saying, do not grieve like those to, who have no hope. Well, what does that mean, like those who have no hope? What Paul is saying, I believe, is don't act like those who have rejected God's gift of salvation and all that awaits is final judgment. No, those who put their faith in Christ have now assured hope of salvation when he comes. This is the already not yet for those who have repented of their sin, accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and are now walking in obedience to God's word. This is the truth of the gospel. You see, I also had a third uh, level of grief that I mentioned, and this grief was limited grief that was rooted in the hope of salvation. This was the momentary loss uh, the momentary feeling of grief through the loss and absence of a loved one, yet hope lied in the assurance, in the assurance 
that on the day that Jesus returned, we would be reunited uh, through him. This is the hope that we're called to have. This is what Paul is saying. Don't grieve like those who have no hope for those who have died if they put their hope in Jesus Christ. He goes on and says, tell the believers to encourage one another in these words. Why? Why do we need encouragement? For one, it is easy to lose hope and forget the great gift of salvation we've been given through Jesus Christ. It is easy for us to lose sight of the eternal prize, but that momentary grief will be replaced with joy when we reflect on the hope that is found in faith in Christ and his return. Therefore, true Christians should not grieve like those who have no hope, but be completely assured in the hope of salvation which is found in Christ. Paul faithfully addresses the initial tension of the dead in, in Christ, assuring the believers that those who die before Jesus' return are still guaranteed a place in his kingdom. However, there is a remaining tension in chapter 5, verses 1 through 13. Both the original audience and many believers today maintain an eagerness to know when Jesus will return but are less enthusiastic about how to live until he does. Therefore, I believe Paul's uh, exhortation and encouragement to the believers in Thessalonica on this point can be summed up as simple as this. Live in faithful expectation of Christ's return. To live in faithful expectation of Christ's return. What we're going to see uh, in this next passage is a contrast of the difference between uh, the day of the Lord as experienced by two specific group of individuals. The first group is the unbelievers. These are those who have rejected God's free gift of salvation, asleep, living a life of sin, in enmity with God, walking in dark darkness, as opposed to the second group. The second group are the believers, those who ex have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, awake and have repented of their sins and are living in faithful obedience to God's word, walking in the light. As we uh, make our way through the next part of Scripture, I, wanna, I want to interject to us a question. To which group do you currently belong? As we look at the two groups, the unbelievers who have not accepted Jesus's, uh, accepted God's uh, free gift of salvation and the believers who are walking in obedience to God's word, I want you to consider to which group do you currently belong? We know by having just walked through uh, chapter 4 that the believers in Thessalonica were fully convinced that Christ would come in their lifetime. However, the problem was that they were not walking uh, a walk and uh, resuming a life of faith that was consistent with their expectation. Paul makes it clear that his arrival would be unexpected and that the date was less important as to how they lived in the meantime. If we go back 
uh, and we heard it this morning in some of the songs, Paul tells them, do not walk uh, as the Gentiles do. Do not walk in uh, sexual morality, to abstain from these things, to walk in purity. In chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, Paul uses uh, two very specific illustrations of what it will be like when the day of the Lord comes. He says, now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, uh, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. While people are living in relative security. I think back to the, story, the stories of uh, the young Cameron Bryce and the story of, of Mr. Carl Weathers, how they were living in uh, comfort and security in their fame, in their wealth, in, their, in, in everything that they had going on from that they were living a, a good life, as some would, would call it. They were living in peace and security, enjoying the things of this world. But Paul makes it clear that for those who are not expecting him, Jesus will return like a thief in the night, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman. I am happy as I was thinking about this and trying to figure out in my, my little tiny brain how to do an analogy of like, like labor pains. I am happy I've never been pregnant, which would be a uh, surprise unexpectedly in itself. Um, but I've... I've, I've thought about what would that mean like labor pains that come about a pregnant woman. And I probably could have asked my wife, but I felt safe probably not going and re bringing that back to her attention. Um, but, you know, the thing that comes to my mind from, you know, movies like, man, that lady was not ready what was about to happen to her. And that's kind of the picture that I get when I think about, hey, this is going to come upon you like labor pains. But uh, something else I thought about that, that we could probably all relate to is we've seen in the movies where a robber would break into the home of the unexpected resident in the middle of the night, right? You know, so you think about this dark night where everyone's asleep and uh, all of a sudden dad, maybe mom, depending on what dad's got going on, uh, go, they hear a noise and they go downstairs to investigate what's going on and suddenly they come face to face with this intruder. And what happens? One or two things, right? They're either startled, right? Or whatever they got in their hand, they throw it at the intruder, right? Either way, it's an unwelcome surprise. Now, I get it. You got a room full of a bunch of warriors. You're all like, hey, I'm already prepared. I got the knife stick here. I got the baseball back here. I got the shotgun down there. I get it. You guys have an escape route for the family. I get it. A bunch of Marines in the audience, a bunch of sailors, soldiers, whatever. But the idea is that it was unexpected, that they were not expecting someone to show up unannounced, right? For those who are living in false security, thinking that they are Christians, just one group, when their fruit of their lives clearly say different, for those who are outrightly rejected Jesus, this is going to be a disastrous revelation, right? For those who have not put their faith in Christ, who are not expecting his return, this is going to be a very unexpected, unwelcome surprise when he returns. They're going to find themselves face-to-face -face with the reality of 
Jesus and the reality of eternal damnation. However, if you are a true follower, follower of Jesus, your salvation is assured. Yet Paul provides a reminder. He tells them to keep awake, to be sober. Well, you have to think, if, if my salvation is assured, then what is Paul saying? Obviously, I'm not asleep. Obviously, I'm being sober. I'm controlling myself. At least we should be as true Christians. No, what Paul is addressing is not a physical sleep that might be assumed, but a spiritual sleep, a spiritual darkness. This analogy of uh, asleep versus awake uh, goes back to the end of chapter 4, and what he's addressing is the unbeliever uh, consider, uh, being spiritually dead or asleep and would have been, uh, as I would have been understood by the church and the believers in Thessalonica at the time. Like many today, they're living in a life of immorality, in direct opposition, and rebellion to God. They are spiritually asleep. They are unaware of what is about to happen. The believer, however, who has put their faith in Jesus is not ignorant to the fact that this world is bound for judgment why? Why? Because the wrath of God is only temporary, temporarily being withheld. You'll probably notice that throughout most of this, uh, I, I referred several times to the true believer to have truly put their faith in God. And I, I say that because I want us to understand that the true believer is the one who is not a believer just in word only, but a believer in word, a believer in deed Right? That is the person that we are talking about. And the believer understands that at any moment, a righteous God will decide that the time has come to judge the world for its wickedness. And therefore, the exhortation is to be morally and spiritually engaged in what is going to happen based on the assurance that was provided at the end of chapter 4 that the coming of Jesus, the salvation of all believers, and punishment of unbelievers are a reality. It's going to happen. In chapter five, verses nine, uh, verse nine, Paul doubles down on uh, on this on this statement. Uh, if you look in uh, verse nine, he says this: "For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ." He goes on to say, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Again, Paul is not talking about a physical sleep. He's talking about a spiritual sleep that unbelievers are in, that their hearts and minds are darkened to what is going on. They are living in direct rebellion to God's word. You see, those who hope in Jesus have been those who hope in Jesus have been, this is past tense, they have been set apart for salvation, not for wrath. It's important to recognize the contrast in verse 9 of wrath versus salvation. All the way through from the beginning of chapter 5 and verse 1 through verse 10 is a reinforcement of chapter 4. But it's also a contrast between those who put their faith in Jesus 
and walk faithfully in the expectation of his return compared to those who reject him who will be who will be completely caught off guard when he appears and will not escape destruction. They will face God's wrath for living immoral and disobedient lives. We've hit this several times before. Uh, we've hit this several times throughout our, our walk thus far in Thessalonians that there's a way that we are supposed to walk as believers of, of, of Christ. Uh, therefore, with the end of chapter 4, Paul makes the final exhortation on the matter to which uh, to encourage one another in the hope of salvation that all believers have. You see, one of the things that we need to understand is that there are pressures in this life that are constantly uh, at odds with the believer. This life is pressured on all sides from within and from without. The devil sends spiritual attacks that, uh, that is why the believer is told to put on the full armor of God a portion of which Paul references in verse 8. He says that we are to put on the breastplate of faith and love and the helmet of salvation. This is our armor for our battle, for a, a spiritual battle, right? The picture that Paul is presenting here is a warrior on a battlefield and not a physical battlefield, but a spiritual battlefield where, we're, where we need to be prepared to fight against those attacks that are coming against us. We also must be alert to the, the spiritual issues around us uh, that they don't entice us so that they occupy our every thought, every thought. We know there are some people who are fully encapsulated and enticed by uh, the spiritual warfare and they get caught up in always being ready to, uh, to look to uh, demons and devils for everything that's going on in their lives. And yes, sometimes that is true, but we need to understand that we cannot fight those in our own power. We need to be fully prepared. That's why we need to have on our full armor to be able to withstand the attacks just like any warrior on a physical battlefield. Likewise, most of society is under the power of the devil and remains in spiritual darkness and is becoming more and more immoral and depraved Therefore, knowledgeable, we need to be knowledgeable of the word of God, of this truth, and able to speak truth into a dark world. Uh, one of the things I think about when I think about living in a dark world, a world that's becoming more and more depraved, is how am I responding in those times? When uh, I'm attacked either uh, within or, or from out, am I using God's word? I think uh, yesterday and, and even this week, um, you know, yesterday we had men's group and we were going through salvation, uh, regeneration, and uh, one, of the, one of the men brought up uh, the, the, the idea that sometimes uh, when we are attacked, we're, 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 we're prone to think that maybe it's because I haven't been fully regenerated, right? Maybe there's something going on in my heart that hasn't been quite removed. And during those times, we need to look back and reflect on the truth that if we have the Holy Spirit, we talked about that same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Holy Spirit dwells in us, then we can be assured that we have salvation. One of the things about uh, walking in darkness is there's doubt, there's fear, and through that doubt and fear, there comes anxiety. And this, I believe, is what 
Paul was addressing for the Thessalonians back at the end of chapter 4 because of the doubt that they had, because of the fear that they were going through, that they were becoming anxiety, they were becoming anxious, uh, they, were becoming, uh, gr- they were grieving the death of their lost ones. Then uh, the final uh, area to where every uh, Christian, every man, woman, and child will be attacked is in the flesh. Right? The, fight, the flesh fights for total control and is desperately inclined toward the things of this world. Therefore, we need to guard our hearts against the things we see. We need to guard our hearts against the things we say and the things that we focus on. Proverbs 4.23 says, For out of the heart is produced the well of life. What are we looking at throughout the week? What are we listening to throughout the week? What are we focusing on throughout the week? What keeps our attention through the better part of the week that ends up coming out of our mouth or showing up in our actions? We need to be mindful of those things to make sure that we are not imitating those things instead of imitating Christ. Finally, he says, just as iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another, uh, Proverbs 27.1. I believe this is a, a big part of what Paul is saying. Like You need to encourage one another. You need to sharpen one another. Why? So you don't fall into despair, that you don't fall into this place where you have no hope, that you remember that through Christ Jesus, we are assured of our salvation if we have put our hope in him. We need to reassure each other of the salvation that is in Jesus and encourage one another to be alert, to be prepared, living moral and spiritually engaged lives, unwavering in our faith until Jesus returns. I know it's a big thing as we look around now at the, at the wars in Israel and everything that's going on and think, man, I really believe that Jesus is coming back soon. Right. And while that may be a reality, the truth is we don't know. We just don't know when he's coming back. The Bible doesn't give us a date or time. So instead of us thinking like, hey, you know what? Maybe what I need to do is look at all these signs, consult the tea leaves and my little stone that I picked up down at Target. Maybe what I need to do is read my Bible where it says, do not you know, abstain from sexual morality. Work on doing that where it says, be pure, maybe work on doing that and not on all these other things, trying to figure out if maybe if I hold out long enough, that I just might make it back. So when I hear that crowd of, that cry of command, that sound of the archangel, that trumpet, that maybe then everything's going to be good, that Jesus is going to call me up to be with him and it's going to be happy, happy, joy, joy forever, right? Now that is a reality. It's going to be happy, happy, joy, joy. At least that's the way I picture it. But we need, there's things that we're told that we need to do until that day comes. Now, I think the bottom line is that as true believers, the attitude uh, should be that I don't care when Jesus is coming, but I'm going to be ready to go when he does. That should be our attitude. I don't care when he comes, but I'm going to be ready to go when he comes. It was kind of hard going through this because I know there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of interest in what's going on with you know, certain parts of end times. So a lot of people really want to be focused on that. And I know that the, the main thrust of the message today has been primarily centered on believers, right? Like, hey, Paul's addressing the believers in Thessalonica, Thessalonica saying, 
This is your concern. Here's my response. This is what's going on. This is what you want to know. Hey, this is what you really need to know. This is what's important. However, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm reaching out to those who are here today who may not be believers. You know, if you're sitting here today and inside your head, there's like this little conversation going on and saying like, hey, you know what? I'm real young right now. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'm kind of like, you know, once I kind of get through high school and maybe college, once I get my career stabilized, once I get uh, on, that, on that fast track, then maybe I'll give my life over to the Lord. Or maybe you're of the older variety saying, hey, once I get my kids out the house and I get everything paid off, like my mortgage, once I get my retirement set, then I will give my life over to the Lord. Then I'll become a Christian. Man, if this is you, if this is your th- current thought process, let me encourage you to maybe have that dialogue with somebody other than yourself, right? Let's get out of your own head thinking about, hey, this is what I'm going to do when the time comes. Like, I've got this promise between me and God that when God gets me here, then I'm going to turn my life over to him. Man, the Bible is clear that we do not know the date nor the hour of Jesus' return, right? It is very clear. Uh, it very clearly states that it will be unexpected. It will be sudden destruction for those caught off guard, for those who have not truly put their faith in Jesus. Man, my, my plead this morning with you uh, is to find myself. I mean, I think we're at one of those rare moments in Pillar Church where we have all four elders in the same building on Sunday morning, not just in the same state, in the actual same building, right? Find one of the elders. We've got, I think we've got all the deacons here. We've got other faithful members. Grab somebody's hand, slip them a note, uh, do something uh, right on, in the front of the uh, chair in front of you. There's a card. Write on that card like, hey, I want to talk about salvation. Leave it on the chair. Do something to get someone's attention of what is going on with you if you have not put your faith uh, in, uh, in, in Jesus. Uh, but also, you may, be, you may not be here this morning, right? You may be listening to this message by the recording, right? Same thing, I encourage you to get in touch with someone, right? I urge you to pick up your, uh, your phone, uh, text 94000, and you know, text something like, hey, I need to talk to someone about my salvation, you know, I can guarantee that someone will call you back probably before you finish the text. It's going to be quick, right? If they see that I need to talk to someone about my salvation, I can guarantee you someone's going to text you back within a minute, right? This is not a decision that you want to take lightly or to allow to just remain as an inner monologue between you or some mental promise between yourself and between God, right? There are many people who think that, hey, you know what, I'm thinking about this Christian thing, I've heard the word, um, and, you know, I'm thinking about coming to it, but, you know, Hebrews tells us, do not, if you hear God's voice, do not be hard-hearted, right, like they were in the rebellion. Do not sit here today, hear God's word, hear what we've been talking about, hear to understand that there is salvation in Christ alone, to sing the songs that we sing, that you are assured salvation in Christ's return, yet leave here thinking, I still got time. Remember the opening question today, if today was your last day, if the Lord came back today, how would you spend your next 24 hours? These are things we need to be thinking about. As we move toward the the close this morning, uh, I want to talk about Paul's 
reassurance to the Thessalonians and also to us today. You know, God has provided a shrewd hope of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. And it's provided only to those who have put their faith in him. You know, I doubt that the voices, uh, and I, I hope I'm saying it, I doubt that the voices had any idea on July 6, 2016, the life of their relatively healthy, productive, and successful son would come to an end at 20 years old. I seriously doubt they got there morning thinking that the day before would be the last day that they would talk to their 20-year-old son, right? For me, this is a, 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 a tender spot for me, and, and I, I, I kind of knew that I had, I had uh, stumbled onto something when I ran across the fact that he was 20, year old, 20 years old. Uh, my youngest this year would be 20, right? So as I think about that, like, man, at 20, this kid who was relatively healthy, who had a successful life, who was, again, his career was moving right along, 20 years old. Even at 76, with a persistent heart condition, I wager that Carl Weather still may not have considered that this past Friday would have been his last day. Two months into 2024, there is a significant age gap between these men. You know, a 50-plus year age gap to where there's a lot of things that could happen, right? Uh, we just think about today. You know, we could walk out here today, fall down the steps. Please be careful. There's a rail. Use it, right? You know, driving home, there could be a car accident. You know, and I know we, we make light of this, and I, and I want us to, to, to be thinking about these things, but I don't want us to be in despair, right? I don't want us to leave here thinking like, man, yes, I have some hard things to think about. I need to put my life in perspective. But what I don't need to do is leave here with my head tucked under my arm thinking like, man, woe is me. No, you've been given a solution. It's, it's Christ. Christ is the solution, right? The reality is today could be our very last day. I'm sure that for the families that they left behind, there was grief. But the question is, was there a confident hope of salvation? Were they confident that the life those men led was as good, as moral, as faithful in walking a life that followed and imitated Christ as it was to walk in a life that searched for fame, that searched for stardom, that searched for riches, all things that we know are perishable. One day, the Lord Jesus Christ will return to establish his eternal kingdom. Those who have truly put their faith in him will go to eternal salvation, right? This is the truth, right? This is the promise, a life spent forever with God in eternity. Those who have rejected him to punishment, this is also the truth, separated from the grace of God forever. We are not promised one more second in this life, not one more second. Right now, today, knowing that it could be your last how will you respond to these truths? How will your life change now hearing this? Which group do you belong to? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, there is a, 
lot that can be unpacked in your word, Father. There is a lot that can be assumed. There's a lot that can be sought after. Father, we know that there's a, there's a lot of things that we just don't understand about the end times, Father. But here's what we know, that your word is true, that, you're, that you are faithful to that word. And your word says, for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, there is assurance of salvation. There is a blessed assurance. There is hope that when he returns, those who have put their faith in him, he will call to himself. First, those who have died, and then those who are alive, Father, that we were all called to be with him forever, Father. For Father, there is also a dreadful warning that those who have not put their faith in him will meet destruction, Father, that they will come to wrath, Father, not to salvation. This is not the situation that we would desire for anyone in this room to be in or anyone listening by recording. We would desire that they would come to a true saving faith through God's good grace, through the free gift of salvation that he has provided through his son, Jesus Christ, that on that day when the Lord returns, not if, but when the Lord returns, Father, that they would be called up to be with him with the rest of the believers, Father. They would have eternal salvation through their hope in him, Father. I pray that everyone who's listening to the sound of my voice, Father, this morning would consider their current position with you, Father, if they are walking faithfully in their commitment to you, if they are abstaining from those things that uh, make them impure, if they are abstaining from those things that uh, negate and nullify their, their being faithful to your word, Father, and instead walking in rebellion and disobedience, Father. I pray that that is no one in this room, Father, but if there is, that they would consider the cost of waiting until the last minute, Father. They would consider their lives right now and how they are living, Father, and they would change, they would repent of their sins, that they would accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and commit the rest of their life from this time on to walk in a faithful obedience in Him until Christ returns, Father. This is my prayer this morning, and I pray it in His name. Amen.